for the first time, the money that I've invested and has grown on top of itself is making more money than I make now. And that's, I think that's a goal that a lot of people aspire to, especially to become financially independent, is the money that I have now is working harder than I am. It's a stress test kind of day, but you're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David Hansen. David, it's a big show today. It's an exciting show because we got the results from the comprehensive capital analysis and review, the CCAR, yesterday, just before the close of the bell, mm-hmm. right around the close of the bell. But before we get to that, this morning at full.com, at headquarters here, big event, Taco Bell mm-hmm. breakfast. Taco Bell breakfast started today. There is a buffet of Taco Bell breakfast items here for us to eat. What did you try? I didn't try any of them. Are you crazy? <laughs> Why? That'd be like, did you eat that corroded battery over there? <laughs> that would be the same thing. Really? That's not... Did you try it? No. Oh. Why not? Th- there's not there, was one, there was one item of the group that did not have meat in it, and they were like cinnamon balls. Mm. That does not sound like... Particularly when they're called cinnamon balls. Like, if, if you want to be Dunkin' Donuts and call them Dunkin' Munchkins, mm-hmm. that's one thing. I'm all over that. Right. Very original. Cinnamon balls? Yeah. Straight to the point. I don't know about that. All right, getting to the meat of the matter. The Fed released the comprehensive capital analysis and review the CCAR. Uh, 25 of the banks that were analyzed passed the test, got their uh, capital planning uh, needs requests approved. Mm-hmm. And basically, the capital planning, the, what, what investors care about here are buybacks and dividends after the financial crisis. The Fed set up a system where the biggest banks, and they, they keep adding slightly smaller yeah. banks. Last year, it was a smaller group of banks. This year, they added a bunch more, going all the way to the $50 billion in assets, uh, they're stopping there, right? Floor. They they're are going to keep yes, going down. They're going okay. to add a. start stress testing us one day. I mean, they're going to add a couple down. more foreign banks. Okay. In next year's run through, it's uh, Deutsche Bank and there's another one. Maybe it was Credit Suisse. Okay. Um, but yes, fifty billion is as small as it's going to get for the stress test. But banks have to go to the Fed on an annual basis. Say, here's how much we want to increase our dividend. Here's how much of a buyback we want to do. Mother may I. Mm-hmm. And the Fed gives them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. We've got to start with Citigroup here. Citigroup getting a thumbs down. Mm-hmm. This is the second time in three years Michael Corbett, new CEO, was supposed to come in, turn this around. This wasn't supposed to happen, David. What? what what's he was going supposed on? to be Mr. I'm, Boring. I'm flabbergasted. He was supposed to be Mr. Boring, Mr. Let's get the controls in place. A lot of misters there. A lot of uh, very surprising here, and the stock was down today. Uh, stock was down big today. It was it was down more than five percent for, mm-hmm. for some of the time after market big, yesterday. All relative. Well, it's it's big for a big company like that. Yeah. So the Fed did not object because Citigroup is in a bad position from a capital perspective or a liquidity perspective. That's not why they objected because of the qualitative aspects around the capital planning processes, and also the forecasting for potential loan losses. So that is why, not because the numbers looked bad, because the Fed saw something in their planning process that said, hey, that doesn't meet our standards. We are not going to let you do uh, this big increased buyback. I think the buyback they wanted was $6.4 billion. That's correct. Pretty significant. And wanted to increase their dividend from one penny a quarter to five cents a quarter. Mm-hmm. And the Fed said, 
No. No dice. It was a stiff arm. He said no dice. So yeah, like you said, it was not on, there was only one bank that was not that was uh, objected to based on quantitative grounds, and that was Zion's. No surprise there because Zion's failed the the Dodd Frank mm-hmm. version of the stress test, which we saw last week. The rest of the banks, Citigroup and a handful of foreign banks, including uh, Santander's U.S. arm and HSBC's U.S. arm, uh, were given a qualitative objection. Basically, like you said, we're not sure about your process. I find this really confounding for, for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is when we, did this, when we went through the stress tests last year, mm-hmm. the Fed gave a conditional non-objection to both Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan, basically right. saying, we're okay with what you're doing, but we're a little iffy on your process. Tighten that up, resubmit to us, mm-hmm. and you'll be okay. Basically, we're not going to humiliate you and say, no, you can't do it, but like, hey, hey, come on, just like, show some love here right. and fix that stuff. Citigroup given a non-objection, a straight non-objection, and, and, and they were allowed to do the buybacks that they wanted to do. Last year. Last year. Yep. And it was until the end of the year that, that uh, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs went back through, resubmitted everything. Everything was A-OK. Everything was peachy. But there was no reason to think that there was anything wrong with the planning process at City. And now fast forward to this year, and you get not a conditional non-objection, but you get a full objection. So... I'm kind of wondering where this, where this came from and whether there's more going on here. It, and not only that, but we talked about this a little bit when the Dodd-Frank results came out. The banks released their estimates of what's going on, and, and the Fed, what we're referring to, the Fed releases its version yep. of the results. There was a lot of variance between those two results. Uh, and I got to wonder, what's the point of all of this? Is the point for, I would think the point would be for regulators and banks to be on the same page uh, and for the banks to understand what the regulators want. It, it, to some extent, it doesn't seem like that's happening. Yeah. Um, and we didn't see that discrepancy last year, though, which is interesting. When Citigroup got the pass, remember I had said that they actually projected a worse scenario mm-hmm. for themselves than the Fed did. Now, this year, we saw Citigroup put the really rosy projections on their own numbers. And, and it's not just, to do with it, it wasn't just Citigroup, though. It was also Bank yeah, yeah, of America. It, it, a number of the banks, I think it was J.P. Morgan as well. The, 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 the numbers at the banks looked better than the numbers that the Fed came out with. Um, and the Fed is pointing its finger at Citigroup in this, saying this is stuff that we'd already told them about. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm surprised. I'm wondering what's going on. It seems like Citigroup is, too. And that shouldn't be the case. If you liked Citigroup yesterday... Do you like it more today, or is this something that makes you wonder, makes you scratch your head a little bit about Corbett and the management team? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm too into it on, on Citigroup, but it makes me wonder more about what the Fed is doing and, right. and, and where this objection came from versus Citigroup. Because Citigroup, I, I don't have any rosy views on, on that Citigroup is this you know, well-oiled machine, but... The going from what we saw last year and the capital levels that Citigroup has built up to this objection here is surprising. They were obviously surprised, too. I think I read that reportedly they had an emergency meeting mm-hmm. to feel like, what's going on here? We thought we were fine. They obviously thought they were fine asking for that aggressive, relatively aggressive mm-hmm. capital plan. So, And that would have been yeah. fine if, if it weren't for this qualitative objection. They would have passed with flying colors. Their, their, their numbers on a quantitative basis, mm-hmm. the numbers at Citigroup look good. Okay. Somebody, somebody is missing something big here. Yeah. Bank of America, on the other hand, l- looking pretty good. We were a little bit concerned about Bank of America after the Dodd-Frank stress tests because 
the um, because the ratios, the minimum stressed ratios under the severely adverse scenario, the really bad recession that the, mm-hmm. the Fed projects in this test, Bank of America's numbers didn't look great. But they were given a non-objection after they lowered their they, – they did lower their capital plans. But they were given a non-objection to a $4 billion share buyback and a $0.20 cent annual dividend. So mm-hmm. boosting their annual dividend from $0.04 cents to $0.20, cents, that's a quintupling. Yes. David, that's and some amazing. people might be wondering, wait, what do you mean they had, they had to go back and change their, what they were asking for? What it would seem like could happen is Bank of America submitted a plan and said, hey, we want to increase our dividend by this much, do this many buybacks. And the Fed said, we really want you to, but like, can you tone it down a little bit? Like, just bring it down a little bit there, which is then they got the approval. Yeah. So in terms of them having to go to, back to the drawing board, that's, that seems like what happened. seems like a, a, a marked difference between... Bank of America's experience in Citigroup's in this, Very right? different, yeah. Right. Uh, very odd. But good news for Bank of America, I think this kind of falls where people were expecting the numbers to fall, that dividend going up to 20 cents a year. Now. I expected the capital to be a little bit stronger, though. The buybacks? No, no, no. I expected their capital oh. levels, the, the, the bank's capital levels, to be higher than they were. Right. Uh, oh, before was, the whole stress test scenario. Yes, that, that was surprising as well. It also looked like Bank of America took the opportunity to take this good news and release it with a little bad news as well. Um, well, I guess you could read it as good news or bad news, but a new settlement with the FHFA around Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and uh, residential mortgage-backed securities that were sold to them, this is $9.5 billion, and it's a mix of, of cash payment settlement and repurchases. Um, this, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, first of all. Bank of America has reserved against this, um, but it's a lot of money, so that's bad news. The good news is, is that it continues to move Bank of America forward on the legal front. In the press release, Bank of America said, the FHFA settlement resolves one of the most significant remaining pieces of the RMBS securities litigation facing the company. It said it's now resolved 88% of the unpaid principal balance of the RMBS that has either been litigated against or threatened to be litigated right. against. That's pretty significant, right? Yeah, I think... Are we in the final innings? We're always using this innings analogy. Bottom eight? Top eight. Let's go top eight. <laughs> top eight. Top eight. <laughs> you went back on that pretty quickly. The closer's warming up his arm. He's not in there yet. Okay. It up. <laughs> Is Bank of America the home team or the away team? They're the home team. They're the home team. Yeah. So they're on offense right now. Mm-hmm. Top eight. Yeah. Playing offense. Yep. And then they'll go back on defense again. Yeah, and then a little back and forth. Okay. Yep. Finally, closing out this discussion on the CCAR results, the other banks. There were other banks involved here. Um, one of them, which jumped out at me, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo looked really good. We had no question about that. In their request, their capital planning request, they got approved for a 350 million share buyback. That's gigantic. Mm-hmm. That calculates out to about $17 billion in share buybacks. It's a lot. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, I'm a Wells Fargo shareholder now. I'm not exactly sure how to feel about this. It's a lot of, it's a lot of capital being returned to shareholders, which can be a good thing. Um, but Wells Fargo and most of the banks in general don't have a tremendous track record in timing share buybacks well, and this is a lot of money going towards it. I would say in general that I think the, the bank stocks still look attractive on a valuation basis, and that includes Wells Fargo, or I wouldn't have bought it. Um, 
But that is a big, big share buyback. But a dividend coming into your pocket allows you the opportunity to put that money in the best bank that, or in the opportunity that you think is the best, as opposed to a buyback. So you're saying a dividend would be better? Maybe. But only if, only if I thought that Wells Fargo was not undervalued. Correct. Which I, I don't know. I don't think it's significantly undervalued right now. I think it's pretty fairly valued right now. Mm-hmm. And so spending money on share buybacks isn't a, isn't a terrible thing. But, but here's why they probably didn't take that $17 billion and make it a dividend well, Of course they're not going to make it a dividend. Well, but go ahead. Tell me, tell me why. Because the Fed likes to cap it a little bit around 30% mm-hmm. of income uh, going through dividends. So they can do that up until that point, and then they have to get creative with, all right, how much do we want to do buybacks? How much do we want to keep uh, for our own investments or our own kind of ventures going forward? So that's why you didn't see it all in dividend. At some point, the Fed's got to loosen that up because a bank like Wells Fargo has got to have the leeway to be able to return more than 30% of its capital via mm-hmm. dividends. But it's not just the Fed, I don't think, because I, th- I think the banks, too, want to maintain some flexibility. And the way U.S. investors look at dividends is different than the way investors in a lot of the rest of the world do in that the dividend is unviolable. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Did sure. I just make that up? You don't pay a dividend, you don't grow your dividend, and then go backwards the next year. Mm-hmm. So buybacks, you can turn on the spigot, you can turn off the spigot. Dividends, you put it in there, it's going to be in there. You've got to wonder if the 30% dividend cap on net income is going to have some unintended, unintended consequences here because everyone's going to have to do, or they're going to want to do more buybacks because you can't just have all this capital sitting on the balance sheet. They're going to do something. And then it's, people are already bad at doing buybacks at the right time anyway. Now it's going to be their only option. Can do buybacks at even worse prices potentially. So you've got to wonder if that's going to... For now, for now, it's still okay. Right. For now, it's still okay. It's okay. We get down the line. Uh, another, another bank that, th- in a similar fashion to Bank of America, Goldman Sachs had to go back, lower its, lower its ask for the CCAR. Um, what I found interesting is, is some of the banks were not, f- did not fully disclose to investors what they were, uh, what they were going to return. Mm-hmm. Goldman Sachs gave basically no information. They didn't even... Surprised? No, 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 not even a press release. They just said, hey, we issued an 8K. You go to the 8K statement, and the 8K just says the Fed didn't object to Goldman's plans. I mean, come on. It's what they do. I mean, come on. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it's what they do. Anybody else you want to comment on? No, let's go. I've already already taken too long. It's a C-car, man. Yeah, you love it. I love the C-car. All right, in focus for today, uh, I will go through this quickly since I've already taken up a lot of the show on the... What are you going through? Tell us what you're going through. What are you going to go through quickly? What am I going through? Yeah, you said I'm going to go through this quickly. Going right? through tough times. Are you talking about emotionally? <laughs> emotionally or, or in this segment? I am, I am giving my stock pitch today. My stock pitch today is for Discover Financial. Okay. Uh, this is a stock that I just bought for my real money portfolio on Fool.com. Uh, you can find that article on Fool.com. Um, so let me, let me run down really quickly why I'm excited about Discover. So right off the top, you've got uh, a good competitive advantage here. You've got an established brand. You've got a recognized brand. This isn't the kind of brand that you're going to see in the global list of, of top brands. MasterCard, Visa, American Express, they're in there. Discover is not. But in the U.S., this is a discovered brand. You've also got that established uh, payment network, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a very big thing. Even when we think about all of the, uh, the technological advancements, people wanting to, to pay for things with their cell phone, wanting to pay for things online, you still need a secure payment processing system that can track where those payments are going, who they're going to, debit, the, uh, debit and credit the accounts on either side. Yep. 
Um, you also, to the extent, thinking about those technological advances, to the extent that consumers want to use credit for those purchases, still need a, a, credit, a credit provider on one side. You've got a dedicated management team here at, uh, at Discover. David Nelms, who's the CEO, has been with Discover since 1998. That's kind of a significant year because that was just after Discover merged with Morgan Stanley. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was later spun off from Morgan Stanley, and that's how it became the standalone public company. Um, so he's, he's been there a while. And it went public in 2007, 2008? Yes, 2007. Not the best time to go public. But. No, especially not for a credit provider. Yes. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been there. There's no sign that he won't continue to be there. Um, in fact, they just gave him a big uh, share grant that's, that doesn't vest until I think it's 2018 or something like that to try to keep him around or to keep him around. Uh, the, the company is also growing into the direct banking business, uh, making more uh, student loans, home equity loans, even starting to do some mortgages. So it's leveraging that brand, leveraging the established Discover brand and going into the direct banking business. I think this is, could be really huge for the company. It's still a small part of the business, but could become a much bigger part. Uh, on the price front, you're looking at 2.8 times tangible book value for Discover stock. This actually looks expensive for it versus its historical multiples, but it's never really gotten a chance to have the high multiples that we've seen right. in a lot of financial services companies because it went public in 2007. And when it first went public, nobody was really thinking about it, looking at it. For comparison's sake, American Express trades for 6.1 times tangible book value. You're not going to get that valuation for Discover, but it's a, a worthy mm-hmm. um, uh, comparison. I think where you're going to end up seeing it settle is somewhere between Capital One, which is a bank, which yeah. primarily issues credit cards, uh, but doesn't have the, the brand, the credit card brand or the processing network. Yeah. 1.7 times tangible book value there. And on the other end of the spectrum, MasterCard, which doesn't have the lending but has the processing network and the credit cards, 15.5 times tangible book value. It's a wide, yes. wide barrier, wide uh, uh, gulf there. But uh, I think 2.8 times tangible book value is more than fair. I, mm-hmm. I, think, I think you've actually got a pretty good price there. On the downside, I'm not crazy about some of the compensation arrangements at Discover in determining the compensation for Nelms and some of the other uh, named executive officers as they refer to him. It's a lot of discretion. So uh, first of all, they focus primarily on net income, not a uh, variable that's my favorite to, to focus on for uh, compensation purposes. And then a lot of outside of that is uh, discretion by the board. I'd prefer them focus on something that really benefits shareholders and that shareholders can really anchor on. Finally, it's a tough competitive environment. American Express, Visa. It's a good business, so other people want to get in. It's a good business. Uh, It's it's a tough business to get into, but there are already established um, established tough competitors. All right. Well, instead of grilling you with questions, since we're short on time, if anyone has a question... Email us, WTMI, ask Matt your question about Discover. We'll address it here. Sound good? Maybe. Speaking of email. Speaking of email, we have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. We love getting questions to that email address. Today's question comes from Amar. Amar asks, in the crisis, First Niagara expanded rapidly and picked up a lot of failing banks. Unlike other mid-sized banks, they have not performed very well out of the crisis, probably due to overexpansion. I have a small residual position, and I'm trying to decide to get rid of it or put more in. Have they got their ducks in a row now? David. Different ducks. 
different ducks. There's different ducks. This is a duck of a different color. To get in the row now. So, like you said, they, they had some good acquisitions or some strategic acquisitions at the beginning of the crisis. And then they went and tried to buy uh, branches from HSBC. How they were going to fund it, they were going to use equity. Their share price subsequently fell a lot. Uh, this was in 2011 when... Uh, like the European debt crisis was going on, stuff like that, uh, which hurt financial stocks at the time. Mm-hmm. So they really took on a bad position because they had to issue equity at a lower price. Just got the company in a really bad financial position. The CEO became or came under scrutiny ever saying, what's this guy doing? Does he even have a plan for this? He's gone. Mm-hmm. They got rid of him. Replaced him with the COO who joined in 2009. Everyone else on the management team of their top executives, they're all relatively new. Everyone has come on since 2009, basically, some 2011, some 2012. So it's a very new team here. And the CEO doesn't really come from a banking background. He came from a technology business that kind of works on um, call center technology. Okay. So in their most recent call, they've said, hey, look, we know we haven't been really profitable the last couple of years, but we're really going to invest in technology because that kind of makes sense. This is what the CEO has known. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're really betting on here. You're betting on this guy riding the ship, cutting costs, and getting this to a profitability level that makes sense. It trades at 1.5 times tangible books, so not dirt cheap, but mm-hmm. not super expensive either. So if you believe in this management team, which I don't know a lot about, I think that's what you have to focus on here is what is this guy trying to do to drive the bank forward. And if you like what he says, I would say maybe keep your position, but if not, I don't see a huge compelling reason why to love the bank. Right, there's no, so there's nothing that jumped out at you that said this is a bank to own right now? Not particularly, no. All right. Well, very good. Uh, Send us an email. We'll answer your question, possibly answer your question, here on the air. Uh, Going to the game for today, usually we've got a little fool in the blank on Thursday, but actually yesterday we played some Rank It. It was a C-car flavored Rank It. We're going to go back. We're going to revisit that. We're going to look at the results. We were ranking the banks that we thought would return the most to shareholders as a percentage of their book value. So the the biggest returns to shareholders. Um. This is, is this the top five? This, this is the top five. This is the top five among the ones that we talked about yesterday. Yes. Right. It's the top five among the ones we talked about yesterday. Um, David? American Express, Looks Discover, like Wells Fargo, U.S. Bancorp, Fifth Third. Looks like you kind Who had American of, uh, Express first? Crushed me. I did. You yeah, didn't this, even have them ranked. So this, isn't, this isn't looking too good for me. Uh, I think your, your strategy, what was your strategy for, for picking those? Well, with some of those, with the American Express Discover, they're at a higher multiple of mm-hmm. their book value. So the actions that they take, you don't get the full actions there because you're paying more than book value. But uh, American Express, huge, huge buyback program, uh, pretty meaningful dividend increase as well. So even though you're paying, what, what did you say, it was six times book value there? That's what really drove me to make the decision. Clever approach, David. Very clever approach. Discover, number two there. Mm-hmm. Just talked about it. Got to love it. All right, let's finish off the day in the Twitter sphere. David, what's our first tweet? First tweet is from Forbes Tech News. The Bitcoin battle between Warren Buffett and Mark Andreessen. Have you heard about this? No. So Buffett basically said Bitcoin doesn't have any value. Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz mm-hmm. has obviously been a big Bitcoin bull, and he says, yeah. hey, old white guys mm-hmm. don't have a really good track record of predicting technology. Uh, Which is true, and I think Buffett would... would be the first to say that, wouldn't he? 
Yes. Uh, and then he came back on Twitter and said, no, I didn't mean to insult him, but then he kind of insulted him again. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a back and forth. And I saw another tweet that was really good about... And Jason's but- kind of a prickly guy, though, isn't he? He's a little prickly. A little prickly. Um, I saw another tweet from someone that says... Or I guess Andreessen was saying Warren Buffett doesn't understand tech. He even tells us that he doesn't understand tech and doesn't invest it. And someone said, else tweeted, Warren Buffett understands tech just fine. That's why he doesn't invest in tech. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. He understands the economies of it. He, he understands that it's inherently, that there's a lot that's unpredictable about right. it. Right. So he does understand it. He understands right. the so, nature of it. But, but then what's his position in saying, well, this has no value. This isn't going to go anywhere. He compared Bitcoin to paper checks. He says it's a means to move money. Just because it can move money doesn't mean it has inherent value. He says the underlying technology is valuable, not a physical Bitcoin. Sure. Well, that, sh- that should be uh, happy news to Andreessen because he's not investing in Bitcoin. He's investing in the technology around Bitcoin. Second tweet. Twitter battles. Old white guys. <laughs> this one comes from Todd Wenning. That's at Todd Wenning. The dividend hike from Wells Fargo alone brings in an additional $97 million per year for Buffett. That's the dividend hike alone. And we talked about that buyback, that $17 billion buyback. Mm-hmm. Warren Buffett had to be pretty excited about that news yesterday. More cash. More cash. Yeah. Gotta love it. Third tweet. This is from Business Insider Finance. Dan Loeb got in a fight with the moms in his building over swimming pool temperature. We have a picture of the swimming pool here. This is where Dan Loeb lives in New York City. It's a nice swimming pool. And he's apparently a triathlete and likes the water at a crisp 50 degrees. <sighs> the moms in the building with their kids were not too pleased with that, so there's a little scuffle, <laughs> I guess. It's pretty crisp. That's crazy. Does that, does that shock you that Dan Loeb... That, no. no. Fourth tweet. This is from MarketWatch, at MarketWatch. Ballpark foods that are bigger in that are bigger in Texas. Ballpark foods that are bigger in Texas. Let's see this. What? It's like a, it's a, I think it's a two-and-a-half-foot-long hot dog at the Rangers stadium here. That's what it appears Whoa. to be. Look at, those, look at all those jalapenos. Pretty that crazy. Looks, that looks delicious. If that was a vegetarian if, hot dog... If that was a vegan dog, would you eat it? A ve- it doesn't even have to be a vegan dog. It could be, just be a vegetarian dog. I would be all over that. That looks awesome. It looks good. Maybe get some vegetarian chili on there. Mm. Even better. Final, Final tweet. tweet. Final tweet of the day is, what do we got? Nothing? We don't have a final tweet. That was the that's final tweet. It, that was the final tweet. Sorry. That was, that's a good note to end on. Okay. Big hot dogs. Giant, giant hot dogs. Giant, delicious hot dogs. Speaking of dogs, there are dogs downstairs right now. Let's go check them out. Stress. That's our show for today. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. You can find us on iTunes. Listen to us on your commute while you're exercising or while you're doing the dishes. You can also tweet at us on Twitter at TMF Financials. That's all we got. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.